Today I was supposed to be out of town, thank you, sir, uh, in Florida, but some things didn't line up, so I had to stay back, and I'm so glad that I did. It worked out wonderful, and I got to enjoy the opening of the snowboard hill where I snowboard at, and Florida's getting 56-degree weather today anyway, so it just wasn't going to work out, and I'm glad to be here, but hey, you know what? I had scheduled two of our best preachers to preach for us this morning, and they said, you know, when they found out that I changed my plans, they were like, you know, should we tell them not to preach? And I'm like, no, I got to hear them preach. So I'm going to listen to them as you have today. I've already heard a Pastor Lauda. She did an amazing job in the first service, Faith Over Fear. Please make sure you listen to that message. But I'm going to introduce our speaker. I want you to open up your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs. Go quickly with me, and it's so good to see everyone here today. How many know it's only going to get colder, snowier, but we're going to make it, amen? We're going to make it. Winter is upon us. Look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 8, or excuse me, verse 6. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. The one that's going to be speaking to you today is a faithful person. It's not just about claiming your love. Anybody can say, I love you. Can I hear an amen from the ladies who have heard men say they love you, but they really don't love you? Maybe some men, have any men, let me just make sure I don't stereotype here. Have any men had a woman tell you they love you, but they let you down? Any men been heartbreak? No men willing to admit it. One man, two men. Okay, I got a few men that can relate to that. But in the church, we hear this all the time. In the church, you hear this all the time. Oh, I love Jesus. I love the church. I, you're the best pastor. I hear this all the time to the point where I don't even really pay attention to it anymore. I'm sorry, but I'm just being honest with you because you hear it all the time, but then they roll out. They don't want to stick around. And so to find someone that actually sticks around through the thick and the thin, you ride or die, that's a special person. How many got some friends like that? You know, they're just ride or die. They just don't need to say it all the time. And they may, and that's good, and it's good to encourage one another. But they're ride or die. This one that I'm going to be having speak today is just ride or die. All together, in every possible way you can think of, I'm counting on this brother. I want you to look quickly with me as well to Acts chapter 15, uh, verse 36 and onward. Acts 15, verse 36 and onward. There was a very unique time in our church where a lot of people's words were tested. We had threats against our building. People wanted to burn us down. People wanted to kill us. A whole lot of mess was going on because of how Nini's Deli and Chicago native at that time owner, Juan Riasco, would not back down to his stances against BLM and homosexuality and all the things that they promote. He stood strong during that time. And he was persecuted because of that. And you can watch a documentary that's actually been made about that called Paint the Wall Black. Well, I had leaders in the church, people who were elders in the church, people who, like in the Proverbs, had proclaimed their love for our church and had paid for the things that you're seeing here, paid for sound systems and banners and, and, and stages and were down with the church. And they said they were ride or die. But within moments... Of us going on the news, the death threats coming out, us being publicized everywhere. Uh, we, we used to put our leaders' addresses and names for their life groups online. They began to be threatened in their homes, uh, threatened in their community. 
people began to find out where they worked on their jobs, began to dox them on the job. So it had to be lawyers and type of people that had this information that were coming against us because they went to their jobs and said, hey, do you know that you have a, a bigot, a homophobe, you know, working for you? Once that happened, there were two elders that by the time I went to call them, the time that I went to ask them for advice, how to make it through this situation, they said, I quit. They weren't even thinking about anybody else other than themselves. Now, I want to tell you, I didn't make every decision right during that time either. I was scared, and there were some decisions that I made that I wish I could have done better. But there's one that I don't regret. And that is when I was looking at the Riascos, the brothers and their families, and my wife and our addresses were put online. And if you remember during the time of June 2020, it was crazy. And if Chicago people say they're going to kill you, you take that serious. We've had people die all up and down this block in these neighborhoods. There was a mother, don't want to speak fear over you, but there was a mother during Halloween about three years ago that was carjacked, shot in the head right down here on Long. They don't play in Chicago. So we had to make a decision at that point. Is this where we die as martyrs, or do we do what they had to do for the apostles at different times? Get them out the city, take the heat off the church, and then keep going. Because like at any time uh, in, in history, people point out the leaders as the main ones, you know. So they had their eyes on me and the Riascos. Okay, are we supposed to leave and take the heat off Metro Praise and come back at certain time? Because you know no matter where we go, we're raising the banner, amen? I mean, we bring in Jesus. So it's like, you know, oh, what do we do here? Do we stay and die or fight or whatever, you know, like fight in the spirit, not naturally, you know, or, or do we have to roll out to another city? Well, we felt the Lord said, let's, mo let's go to another city. And this is the decision that I do not regret. Somebody say he doesn't regret it. I had to think who was going to pastor this congregation. And I went to a person that had been loyal for years Bible, amen, TJ in the back, had been Bible college trained, had been like for me, Elisha was for Elijah, always there on point, how may I help you, sir, Lord, what are we doing today? But there were people in that group that thought I made a mistake. They said, what about Berto and Griselda? What about this one and that one? And out of that peer pressure, this is what I do regret, I went back and I said, I'm sorry, I won't put you in charge. I'm going to put Berto and Griselda in charge. But you see, what they didn't know is that Berto and Griselda have a certain unique set of gifts that serve the senior pastor or senior leadership, and they don't feel called to be the senior leaders. How many know it's okay to be a vice president? Not everybody's called to be the president, and that was their calling, and they have told that, and they had told that to me, and still to this day, that they don't have a desire to be the main voice. They want to be a supportive voice. I think about my friends and churches that take over uh, or take the leadership on, and the staff still remains. Some of them, like my friend over at Belmont Assembly of God, Joey Silva, was in my youth group, and the associate pastor there was Tom Stack, and Tom's old enough to be Joey's dad, but he served under Pastor Carlos there. Joey did as a youth pastor, but it was time for Carlos to leave. They said, well, Joey, do you want to be the pastor? And now he's the pastor, and guess who's still the associate pastor? Thomas Stack. See, I've seen that all throughout ministry. So there was no insult to the Goveas to say, this gentleman will be your pastor. No, it was an honor because that gentleman had a call on his life to do it as I do it with this gift. Can I hear an amen? Look at Acts chapter 15. 
Verse 36, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted him. Somebody say deserted them. He had deserted them and deserted Paul in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers, uh, to the commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria, uh, Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Now look at chapter 16. Paul came to Derby and then Lystra, where a disciple named who lived? Timothy. See, John Mark had deserted them, and it had split apart these two leaders. And everybody always asked me, well, who do you think was right, Paul or Barnabas? I'm going to ask you a question. Who does the rest of the New Testament follow, Paul or Barnabas? <laughs> who writes books of the New Testament, Paul or Barnabas? <laughs> <laughs> Which disciple gets books na named after him, written from the apostles, Mark or uh, uh, Timothy? Timothy. Now, God ended up using Mark to write the gospel of Mark. He became a disciple under Peter. But that's who I think was right. I think Paul was right. Now, notice this right there. Uh, no, right, right here. They meet this man named Timothy, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconian spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So one was taken out of the way, and another one was lifted up in his place. See, Judas's place was taken by a disciple named Matthias and eventually by the apostle Paul, I believe. Here we see in this story that somebody deserted these apostles and one said, man, look, we should still take him. He don't need to be disciplined. Let's just move on with it. And Paul was like, no, no, no. If he quit us like, he quit on us like that, he might quit on us again. He needs to have some transformation of character before he rolls with us again. But God said, no, I'm not going to let you be by yourself though, Paul. I'm going to raise up another young man. And I want to say about this young man, he is to me a Timothy. Hands down. <laughs> Once again, TJ, we love you back there. Working security today, amen, brother. Keeping us secure and safe here. This is the most secure church in Chicago, by the way. Not only do we have cameras, every possible thing. We have guys that carry buttons that show off alerts. We keep the doors locked until you come in. And there's about, I don't know, 10 to 20 concealed carry people up in this church. Can I hear an amen? So just let you know you're safe up in here. Police come here and they're like, okay, we're safe now. Like we protect you guys, okay? But now listen to this, man. This brother stood through all of that. And you know how humble he was? Is that even when I had to change my mind and go with the crowd and say, man, I'm sorry. I'm going to give it back to Berto and Griselda. And because the majority said they should be it, he said, okay. Well, man, how can I serve then? You see, that's a Timothy right there. That's a ride or die right there. That's somebody that said, man, I'm here wherever you need me. You need me to stand in front and take the mic? I got it. You need me to stand behind somebody and get their back? You got it. And because of that, he's our youth pastor, works with our young people. He's been a tremendous blessing to my family. Would you stand up to your feet, put your hands together, and bless God for the man of faith and power for the hour, the one, the only, Joseph Bonilla, a.k.a. Timothy, your boy.
rich man of God. Amen, amen. <laughs> Thank you for the introduction, Pastor Joe. Uh, I want to start off with some prayers so if we can all bow our heads, close our eyes. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this awesome Sunday. God, even though it's cold outside, we, we know this because we're Chicagoans. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this day, God. We thank you that we're able to gather together uh, to hear your word, um, to fellowship, to pray, to worship. God, we just pray, Lord, that you would speak through each and every one of us, Lord. Speak your word to our hearts, Lord, so that we can obey you. God, I pray that each and every one of us, Lord, uh, they wouldn't just hear uh, me speaking, Lord. They wouldn't just hear the person with the mic, Lord. I pray that your spirit would be interceding on their behalf, Lord, speaking to their conscience, Lord, letting them know uh, the will that you have for them. So we praise your name today, God. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yes, uh, my name is Joseph Bonilla. Like he said, I am, a, I am a staff intern here. I've been in this church since I was 16 years old. So that's, that's coming up on uh, 10 years pretty soon. Uh, when I came as a 16-year-old, I was very much different than I am today. Um, I like, think back of my life before Christ, and it's a whole different person. I don't even recognize that person anymore. I mean, it kind of looks the same. I'm the same height, so fortunately. But, you know, different, different life, different person, and it's all by God's grace. Um, one thing that I feel like uh, has been in my heart for a while is what I'm going to talk about today. So the, the title of the message today is uh, Healthy Doctrine, Healthy Life. And for me, uh, I'm, I'm big on scripture. It's, it's, it's what keeps me. It's what keeps me going. Uh, during the time that everything was going on in Nini's Delhi, it just, it just looked like scripture to life to me. It looked like the Bible. It looked like a, a Bible project video for real now. It looked like I was legit getting a uh, tutorial on how to live in the book of Acts. And as we were getting uh, just yelled at, persecuted, as the mob was approaching us, I was, I was a little hyped. I mean, I'm not going to lie, it was, it was crazy, you know? But I remember, I, I think I even told PJ, I'm like, man, this is like this. This is like this happening. And, and lo and behold, you know, people that stayed, they saw that as well, you know? They didn't see uh, people just living reckless lives, doing whatever they felt, uh, just trying to get clout, just trying to be controversial. They saw people that would stand for the gospel. In the first service, Lauda actually brought that up, um, how Jesus, he... he he was going around towns, and sometimes he would cause havoc. You know, uh, she brought up the story about a demon-possessed man uh, having over thousands of demons in him. And, and it got casted out of him, and it went into a bunch of pigs. And those pigs, all 2,000 of them, went into a, uh, into a lake, and they drowned. That, I mean, just I, just, I was just thinking about it as she was talking. I'm just picturing, like, 2,000 pigs going into a lake. I'm like, man, that's a scary sight. But then also, it was damaging to their economy. And, and they br- kept bringing up so many things as to why we shouldn't have been talking the way we were speaking. We shouldn't have been doing what we were doing. We shouldn't have been at Nini's. Uh, we should fold to the mob. But all that I could hear was the doctrine that I was raised up in, right? The, the belief that had grounded me my whole, uh, my whole time being saved in Christ. So what I want to share with you guys today is how you can have a healthy doctrine, how you guys can have a healthy life. And I'm blessed to be a part of this church because, man, we're, we're, we're sound here. We, we make sense here, okay? We're not going to be telling you these stories of disciples that were willing to risk their lives in order to advance the gospel. Then as soon as we're being persecuted, we stop and say, hey, we're going to chill and relax. We're not going to know that our mayor, who is a blasphemer, who hates God and his word, we're, we're not going to stand by her side and serve food while all the churches are being shut down. And then get up here on Sunday and tell you, hey, we're about righteousness. 
See, and that's the church that I, I, I was saved by God's grace at here at 18 years old. So I want to I wanna be able to uphold uh, this position right now and honor the, God's word. Uh, for me, personally, right, my own personal life, my wife, she's right there with my son, Hezekiah, right? He's a miracle as well. Um, he's a miracle baby. Um, the doctor said he wouldn't have been born uh, unless they performed a, a C-section weeks ahead of time, but he'd probably be too weak. And God told me, no, he, God is his strength. He's his strength. And that's why his name is Hezekiah. And then that's my lovely wife. She's awesome. She's the backbone of my life. And she's, she's everything and more. So if you don't know her, you got to get to know her. She's awesome. I've been in Elevate uh, serving as the youth director for so long, uh, and it never gets boring. I, I was hearing the testimonies today of the youth that went to Momentum, and it just never gets boring seeing youth get, uh, get emboldened for Jesus, to get changed for Jesus. Uh, looking at, where's Marco? Marco and Malia, I remember when they were teenagers serving in the youth group before they're married, and they have a child on the way. Just seeing these lives grow TJ when he was 14 years old, coming, looking extra mean. Now he's one of the happiest people. I, I'm telling you right now, uh, the stories that you see in this church, the lives that you are uh, able, privileged to be a part of, it's a privilege. It's really a gift of God's grace to be a part of uh, your lives. And I'm so thankful to be a deacon here. So uh, first thing I want to start off with is in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Um, we need to make sure we watch our doctrine. Everybody say, watch your doctrine. It's kind of like what Ice Cube said in that one song, you know, check your life before you wreck your life, right? Right? You got to check your doctrine before you wreck your life. You got to watch your doctrine and make sure it's sound because your life as a result will be sound and you'll benefit the people around you. We need to make sure we have a, 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 a hold on what we believe. Right? So we're going to read this chapter real quick. Uh, bear with me. I love to read the Bible in church. Okay, So read along with us. Right? The, the Spirit clearly says that in the later, the, the later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose, consciousness, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected. It is to be received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Amen. If you point these things out to brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching. Everybody say teaching that you have followed, have nothing to do with godless myths that you have followed, have nothing to do, uh, oh sorry, with godless myths and old wives' tales, rather train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise to both this present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our faith and hope in our living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. 
Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Uh, do not neglect your gift, which has given uh, was given through, uh, to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Now be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life. Everybody say, watch your life. And doctrine closely. Preserve, persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Amen. Let's praise God for his word. So this letter, along with 2 Timothy and Titus, that's really what I'm going to be uh, centering around. But these are personal letters. Everybody say personal fancy word is correspondence, right? These letters were written not to be read by a group of people. This is Paul writing to Timothy, right? Paul writing a personal letter to Timothy. Anybody remember back in the day? I know all you guys under like 20 years old, you guys don't know this. Remember when you had to have like a pen pal or something, or you had to write a letter to your best friend? Anybody remember that? Had to do that in grammar school, right? Uh, Those letters would share things that maybe other people wouldn't understand, wouldn't know about. Things that you wanted them to know exclusively. So when Paul's writing these letters to Timothy and also to Titus, he already has ideas. They already know each other. They're on the same lingo. They, like, how many of y'all got inside jokes in here with some people? Right? Like, if you look at them, you look at them a certain way, you'll, you guys will start laughing. Like, I was like, hey. And you're just, I, don't, I just say, hey. And then you're like, oh, hey. And you're like, yup. And then, boom, you guys start dying laughing, right? How many of y'all have those people in your life? Right? Now, Paul and Timothy... They already knew what they were on, right? We already, uh, Pastor Joe, when he was introduced to me, he was sharing about how Paul met Timothy and how Paul took Timothy knowing that he wanted to be with him. See, Paul and Timothy, they were like-minded. So when he's sharing these, uh, this letter, right, he mentions things that we should already kind of know about, right? So I'm not going to get in, into too, de- too much of a depth of, of, you know, what is good teaching, right? I'm going to mention it briefly, but I'm really going to talk about the benefit of good teaching. Because when Paul wrote this, it, it was meant for Timothy to do things for, right? To put, like, I'm writing this letter to you so that you could go to work, so that these things can be done. So Paul writes the letter to Timothy, and he wants him to put the church in order, right? The church in Ephesus, if you read the Bible, you'll notice there's this book called Ephesians, right? And if you ever listen to Kanye West, right, he mentions it as well, Ephesians, right? Ephesians was a, a church that Paul started. So Paul starts it, and here's the thing, it's, it's not going 100% right. See, see, Paul wasn't a bad apostle. He was a great apostle. But Paul had a rule. He would only start churches really in places where the church hadn't been, uh, where the gospel hasn't been. Right? So he wasn't, he wasn't going to the same block that had like five other or ten other churches and saying, well, I'm going to plant a church here. No, he's saying, I'm going to go here where they don't even know the gospel. They've never heard it in their lives. That's where I'm going to plant a church. Now, when he did in uh, Ephesus, right, God had him traveling. Paul wasn't staying at one place for a long time. He was going. He was, he was on the move. Right? So Paul plants the church at Ephesus. He teaches people the gospel, and he leaves. Okay? Now, when he leaves, he also stays in connection with them, and he hears about what's going on in Ephesus, and he does not like what he hears, so he sends Tim, uh, Timothy to set it straight. He wants, them, uh, he wants to encourage Timothy to point them in the right direction and make sure they're not caught up in this mess. You see, and in these letters, there are a few things that are mentioned uh, that you'll notice as well. First thing is the idea of a clean conscience, right? Does anybody know what a conscience is? Right? It's like that inner voice in your head. Right? The Bible says that people that have never heard the gospel, 
They know what's right or wrong because of this thing called their conscience. You see, our conscience can either condemn us or it can actually free us from guilt. How many times have you, before you're a believer, done something wrong and you felt an insane amount of guilt? No one even told you this thing was wrong, but you just knew it. You can even see it with children. When they do something wrong, they feel shame. They feel guilt. You see, the conscience is in man from a very young age. And this is actually a light that God has given us to point to us what is right and what is wrong. So he has this idea of a clean conscience. Paul wants us to know that in order to be healthy Christians, we have to have a sound mind. Everybody say sound mind. We have to have a sound mind. Another thing, the idea of good teaching, that is something that is stressed so much in this letter. You see, Paul informs us that in order to be healthy Christians, we need to have sound doctrine. Everybody say sound doctrine. And the idea of doctrine, maybe people think of doctrine, they think of a set of rules. They think of maybe a, uh, like the Ten Commandments. And they're, they're, they're semi-right, but really doctrine is a, is a list of teachings that inform what you believe. That's really what it is. It's teachings that inform what you believe. And everybody has a doctrine. Everybody has a doctrine. You look at an atheist, they have a doctrine. They have a belief. They have a set of rules that they live by and they hold to. Everybody has a doctrine. And Paul's saying right now, you have to have a sound doctrine in order to be a healthy Christian. Next is the idea of decency and self-control. This is something that Paul, he wants to inform us that in order to be a healthy Christian, we actually need to have a sound life. Our life needs to be sound. And he doesn't want us living in, uh, he, yes, we're all living in chaos. Like, we're all living in chaos. That's the truth. We go to, I, I work at, a, at a, uh, a school, and the school is chaotic because it's full of teenagers that want to do whatever they want. And I'm telling you, high schoolers, like, you know, they're a little crazy, right? Like, honestly, y'all remember high school? I think about it sometimes. I'm like, y'all were breaking the law. Y'all were criminals. I went to class, fifth period, with some criminals, honestly. And, and nothing happened to y'all. And it was chaotic. It was chaotic. But, man, we send, our, we, we send our kids into these schools. And we send them into the chaos. And, I, and I, you know, I'm, I, I do plan on homeschooling, right, if I have that opportunity. But if my son has to go to a school, right, I'm not expecting him to be a part of the chaos. But why not? Why not? Why doesn't he have that right to now be a part of the chaos? Why doesn't he have a right to join in the chaos? Why do we as Christians now all of a sudden, once we lose it, right, we just slap our neighbor in the face, right? Like, why don't we have that right to do that, right? Because when, when I'm teaching high school, right, some kids get so mad at each other, they just cuss at the top of their lungs because they feel like it, right? Now, we need to make sure that we have a sound mind, a sound doctrine, and a sound life. This is what Paul is trying to get to us, and we need to understand that. Before I... I, I get more into the letter, I want us to understand who Paul is. Paul was not uh, an American, okay? America didn't exist by the, back then, okay? It wasn't, it wasn't around. Paul is not, uh, he's not a Greek. He's not a Gentile. He does have Greek influence because he grew up in a place where there was a lot of Greek people, but Paul's a Jew. Everybody say, Paul's a Jew. He's Jewish. He's Jewish through and through, and a lot of people missed out on that, and they miss. uh, the, the stream of thought that is going on with Paul. If we can go back to 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. I want us to, I want us to understand where Paul is coming through, uh, how he's coming to them in chapter 4, or Timothy in chapter 4. He says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Right away, we kind of think, man, I'm thinking about Halloween. Right? Like, you got all them witches. You got hocus pocus on the television. It's wild out here. 
right? You got Harry Potter. That's demonic, right? That's what we're talking about. But no, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciousness, uh, consciences have been seared as with hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Real quick, right? Who designed marriage? When did he design marriage? In the beginning. Who created food? When did he create it? Okay. Who deceived those people that first received that blessing? Satan. Now, Satan is the devil, right? He's a liar, right? What is he teaching people? Things that we get from demons. So Paul really is, he's, he's helping us understand his train of thinking by going back to Genesis. Because he says, for everything created is good. Everything created is good. Marriage is good. This food you eat is good. And nothing is to be rejected, but rather you have to be thankful for it because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So Paul, again, he's coming to Timothy. And, and see, Timothy, we can't read through Timothy like skim read because we're going to miss exactly what he's talking about. You see, he's not really uh, uh, bringing, uh, like he's not making it in the forefront like, hey, this is the problem, this is the problem, this is the problem, real black and white. You kind of have to read between the lines. What are these teachers doing? They're saying, hey, you can't eat this. You'll be wrong, right? God will think that's sin. God will say that's sin if you eat this. Hey, you don't marry because God will say this is sin. Don't do this because that's sin. Don't do that because that's sin. All these things that are not necessarily anything that God has said. And what did the devil say to Eve? Because what was God's first command to Eve or to Adam? And then also, right, now to Eve. Adam was supposed to tell Eve, right? They're supposed to know. Let me see if I say it. Will you catch me? Is it, is it A, do not touch of any of these trees or you'll die? Or is it B, right? Do not eat of this tree in the center of the garden. It's B, right? But Eve believed A. Eve thought, okay, I won't touch anything because none of, this is not good, right? Don't touch this tree because that's, that's not good. So the first thing the devil actually does now is he provides a little bit of legalism to Eve. He provides something that is more than what God said. And a lot of, you, a lot of us, and I know Pastor Joe has talked about this really well, uh, about legalism, the dangers of it, but a lot of y'all might actually think Eve was better for it. You may say, man, he, she just went the next step. God said, don't, don't eat from that tree. The devil said, don't touch that tree. Eve, Eve would have been like, uh, um, well, actually, no, my bad. Sorry, let me restart that. Eve is the one who said that. So she mis misunderstood what God said. Sorry, guys. Little brain fart there. But the devil didn't say that. Eve said that in response to the devil when, God, uh, when the devil asked what God said. So Eve provides legalism. And many of us would agree with Eve. We'd be like, yeah, man, I'm not even going to touch that tree. I'm not even going to look at that tree. And see, this is what the teachers were doing is that they were, they were kind of getting on people's legalism. Because what, what really is known as asceticism, which is denying things in order to be good, right? Denying things to be good, right? Denying things to appear righteous. And we see that a lot in religions, right? Muslims, what do they not eat? Pork, right? What, what, what do they not drink? Alcohol. And if you ever talk to them, they'll call Christians hypocrites because we might drink or we might eat some lechon, right? They'll, they'll call us hypocrites because they say, man, that stuff's impure, okay? That stuff's not right. And then there are Christians, right? If you watch TV, they'll say, man, you can't be watching TV. 
That's a sin right there. Why? Well, because it's the devil's too, right? All the bad stuff in the devil, right? You're wearing Nike right now. You're wearing Adidas. You're wearing the devil's clothing, right? You shouldn't even touch that stuff, right? And we have to understand that that's kind of exactly what these teachers were coming around with. They wanted to put legalism on people. They wanted to force people not into the law, but really into their teachings of the law. Now, here's the problem, right? This is not something to be taken lightly. What does Paul say it is? It's demonic. It's teachings taught by demons. These things are not just people's opinions. You got to understand, we let people slide way too much. We let people slide way too much. They be saying some off-the-wall stuff, and they're like, oh, I guess, well, that's your opinion. Like, no, no, this is some demonic stuff. This is some demonic stuff to be able to exclude people from the body of Christ because of something that God did not say. To be able to exclude people from sharing in the salvation that Jesus Christ purchased on the cross because of something that he did not say, but whether you said man's teachings rather than God's teachings. See, that's demonic. That's truly demonic. Not some kid dressing up as Casper the friendly ghost, right? That's not the true reason that, that's not the true demonic stuff that Paul's talking about. It's this right here, this type of teaching that excludes people from the body of Christ. We need to have a sound mind, though. If we go back to verse 2, you see, these teachings come through hypocritical liars. Hypocritical liars. What does that mean? They don't practice what they teach. They've made a practice of sin, and they begin to teach you how to live like them. They've made a practice, and what? They don't even show you it. They don't even show you it. They hide it. They lie about it. And you see, why are they able to do that? How do they get away with it? Anybody ever hear these stories of people that live double lives? And you think about how are you able to sleep at night, right? You hear these stories of, of men, right, all of a sudden leaving their wives, having another child, having another family. And you're like, bro, how did you come back to this family? Right, you hear these stories of, I, I heard this one story of a pastor who killed someone and put them in a, fr- a freezer. And he was still preaching. And I'm like, bro, how do you get up on this pulpit and preach, how, well, well, this is how. It's because they they're conscious, right? They're conscious. The thing I was telling you about, it's been seared. You see, this is actually a, a surgical procedure. You see, when there was bleeding going on in a body part, what they would do is they would take an iron, the same thing that they brand horses with, and they would press it on the wound to stop the blood. And what it what would do, it would numb it. It would numb it. So these people were, were in a sense, smooth-brained. These people were smooth-brained. They, they didn't feel any of the conviction because it was numb. They had numbed it down. And so many of us do that, right? We're hypocritical, and we lie about it. So what we do is we keep rejecting God's voice. We keep rejecting his instruction. We keep rejecting his word. And we come to church and pretend it's all right. Then we try to teach people to live a life we can't even live. You see, this is the hypocritical liar. And you see, sometimes we feel so guilty, so guilty. What we do now is we try to put more stuff on people. Like we try to ignore our sin, so we focus on something else that someone else has a problem with. Like, man, I keep watching porn. Oh, well, man, th- this person right here, yeah, he, he missed the Sunday service. Bro, you got to be committed to church. You got to make sure you're coming. Are you even really a Christian? Right? So we ignore our sin, and we start to question people and fall find them. You see, and this is what they were doing. They were hypocritical liars that began to create legalism in order to kind of like make, kind of ease their conscience a little bit because it was numb. We go to first, uh, we used to go to Timothy chapter, uh, I mean, Titus chapter 1, 11 to 15. You see, and again, 
how do we respond to this? Some of us, we think when we sin, let's just focus on not sinning. Let's focus on not sinning. That's how we're going to do it, right? Let's focus on not doing the wrong thing. That's not how we don't sin. I mean, how many of you have been told, like, I, like for example, right, let's say you have your, any parents in here, right? I, I can't wait till my son's this age, right? But, like, hey, don't touch that. Don't touch that thing there, right? Don't touch that, uh, that thing in the store. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to touch it. You've brought attention to the thing that you don't want them to touch, and now what they're thinking, I'm going to touch that. I'm going to touch that. It must be something important. It must be something that I don't have. You see, and this is exactly how the devil got Eve, right? Don't, hey, listen, is, is are you sure God is really, are you sure you're really going to die? Maybe God's, God's not, letting you, he's letting you not miss out on something, right? So, so uh, like the devil's maybe saying, oh, you know, you're missing out on something if you don't do this. And, you know, Eve, of course, she fell for it. We know the story. Now, legalism doesn't actually save you from that, right? Having more, adding more to, like, what you can't do doesn't help you not do it. It just makes you do it in a whole other way. When you really want to do something, you're going to do it. You're going to find loopholes to do it, right? Many of us were like, okay, well, you know what? I'm not going to smoke, so you know what I'm going to do? Man, I'm going I'm to put all my weed in the toilet. Well, you can just buy some more weed. You can just buy some more weed. Oh, man, I'm not going to drink anymore. It's too much. I'm going to put it away just for special occasions. Bro, you're just going to go in that place you put it away in. You know where it's at. Or you'll just buy more. Man, I'm not going to watch porn, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going I'm to I'm make sure that like, my laptop is always closed or my phone is always closed at a certain time. You're going to find a way. You're just going to open it because you want to do it. This is something you want to do because you're focused on it. It's a, it's a thing that's in your mind. It says right here uh, in, in Titus chapter 1, verses 11 to 15, uh, they must be silenced speaking about these false teachers because they're disrupting whole households. This is how crazy false teaching is. It disrupts whole households by teaching things they not, ought not to teach. And that is for the sake of dishonest gain. He then goes to say one of Crete's own prophets has said this. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Imagine Pichot saying that about Puerto Ricans. Right? Oh, man. How would, <laughs> how would Belmont Cregan respond to that, right? Now, this, is, this saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them. Everybody say rebuke them. We're going to get to that later sharply so that they will be sound. Everybody say sound. Sound really means healthy. It means good. It means solid. They will be sound, healthy in the faith, and will pay no attention to Jewish myths and to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. So here, Paul's giving us a little insight as to what's going on, right? Jewish myths or uh, merely human commands, I'm letting you know right now, there is a lot of false teaching that is so prevalent in our age, even despite us knowing where they come from, like black Hebrew Israelites. This, these, are, these are myths, matter of fact, Jewish myths that focus on merely human commands. But yeah, I've seen so many people swept away with this false teaching. Right, when you go to Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, but not only that, this legalistic uh, approach to Christianity that has, oh, has been taken, uh, that's taken to church by storm at so many times in our lives, right? Not our lives, but in the church era, right? Especially in the last, like, maybe 50, 60 years. So many people come to us, right, when new innovations come out, right? Like, imagine the TV came out. They called it the Devil's Tube, right? Then all of a sudden, you got, uh, you got iPhones, right? Now, all of a sudden, iPhones, the devil, right? You got all these things, people kind of... Making commands, merely human commands, 
uh, to make sure that people live holy, right? Almost like uh, policing our holiness. You, you can't do this without my help. You can't do this without this command. And if you follow people on YouTube that say that stuff, you need to unfollow them, right? You, they say a whole bunch of stuff, and you try to look in Scripture, and it's like, no, that's not even in Scripture. They tell you, you can't do this, you can't do that, man, and you don't even know who, they, who taught them. You don't even know what they're doing. So, end of rant, but I want you guys to understand that, that what these people were following, right, it was not the Word of God. These teachers were not teaching the whole Word of God. And, and they end up rejecting the truth. Now, this is what I really want to focus on. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciousness are corrupted. I'm going to stop right there. So the pure, they're going to live pure lives. The pure are going to live pure lives. When you drink water, right, let's say all of a sudden... I'm drinking some water, and I backwash, and then I give it to you to drink it. Y'all ain't going to drink that. What if I say, all right, I'll just dump the backwash out, and I give it to you then? <laughs> no, it's not pure, right? It's not pure. So, so when we, right, as Christians, when we are impure, right, what, there's nothing pure that's going to come out of us. We're not going to be able to do anything pure, think anything pure. But why are these people impure, it has nothing to do, it has something to do with what they're doing, but it doesn't start with what they're doing. It starts with what they're thinking, what they're believing. You see, they do not believe, therefore nothing is pure. It has to do with their mind. It has to do with their mind. You see, the impure person, when they see something, they think impure thoughts. The pure person sees something, they think pure thoughts. The, the man that is tempted as an impure person contemplates sinning. The man who's tempted as a pure person contemplates getting out of that sin. That's what we have to understand. These hypocritical, hypocritical liars that are teaching in this book, they're impure people. You see, their conscience is already seared. They've already been numbed down to God's word. So what they're pretty much doing for a show and for money is making people do things that they can't do. So the impure people, right, are going to live impure lives, but it's because of their guilt. Their guilt causes them to live impure lives. Again, right, anybody, sometimes as a teacher, right, I like to use, like, people's eyes as a way to communicate with them, right? Like, so I'm like, who did that? And I'll just look the person in the eye who I think did that, and I'll just see if they look guilty. Now... Now, here's the thing. Chances are I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest, right? But there's this thing with guilt, right? When you're guilty, you live as a guilty man. A guilty man is not living free. A guilty man is not living with a clean conscience. A guilty man is living with a guilty conscience. A guilty man doesn't know how to live for Christ because he's so caught up in his guilt. So the people are, are so concerned with not sinning. People are so concerned with not sinning that their conscience is numbed or because their conscience is numbed by their sin. So it's almost like you're stuck in tar and you see the tar and you can't get out of the tar because of the tar. You're stuck in your sin. You can't get out of your sin because you're so focused in your sin. So what we need to do now is understand that focusing on your sin is not 
First and foremost, not how you get a sound mind. See, guilty shipwrecked Christians happen not because Jesus' teachings are too hard, but because they're rejecting it. You see, they, be- they didn't believe the teachings of Christ. They didn't believe the gospel that Paul was presenting them. So they rejected it for something else. Now, a lot of you guys are saying, man, I've tried the Christian thing. Maybe you'll be presented with that thought. I've tried it. I've gave it my all, but now I'm done. I want to let you know you've done nothing. You've done nothing. At the end of the day, if you leave this church, if you leave the faith, if you shipwreck your faith, right, because all of a sudden you're saying Jesus' teachings are too hard, that's because you never actually received his teachings. You never believed his teachings. What you believed is your own legalism. You believed your own law. You believed your own word. And where did that leave you? To sin. That's what we have to understand. You see, because sin is just going to lead you to more sin. Don't let Christians that have shipwrecked their faith convince you that it's too hard to be a Christian. That it's too hard to follow Jesus. I don't care how old you are. Don't let the people in your school make you think that it's too hard to be a Christian. It's not too hard. Matter of fact, the Bible says that Jesus' commands are easy, light. They're not a burden. But it all goes back to whether or not you're focusing on them. Because really what the Bible says is they're, they're liberating. They set you free when you focus on his commands. When you focus on Jesus' life and his teachings, they set you free. So we have to have a sound mind. What does that mean? We may have chaos here. Chaos may be around us. There may be a lot of disturbances going on in the flight of our life, but we have a sound mind. In here, inner peace, in here, it's sound. Right, and I, I, think, I think about that time again back in 2020 uh, that PJ was bringing up. It was crazy. I mean, I remember the riots, all that stuff was going on. And it could be so easy to have a disturbed mind. Right, and it's not just those riots. We can think about everyday life. Right, we think about maybe the temptations you're facing. We think about the problems that you're going through. We think about the people at your job, the people at your school, maybe the persecutions that we face. And it may seem like everything's chaotic, but here's the thing is that Paul's saying we need to have a sound mind. Noise may be coming from the left, from the right, but here's the thing. Christ is within, and he has given you peace. Christ lives in you. Right, he's given you peace. The Holy Spirit gives you peace. We are good. Now, here's the thing. You may be saying, well, how? How are we good? And this is why I want to introduce you. I want to let you know the only way to have a sound mind is to have sound doctrine. To have sound doctrine. What you believe matters. Don't let anyone tell you that. Many people like to say that, you know what, you can be a Christian, just keep your faith at home. Right? Keep your faith. Keep your faith. Don't, don't take your faith with you places. Right? Uh, I'm a big NBA fan. Any, any NBA fans in here? Anybody? I know you guys are like, ever since, the, ever since Jordan retired, you checked out 30 years ago. And you've been like, forget them, right? You thought maybe Derrick Rose was it. Three years later, you're like, nope, never mind. I'll be back next superstar. Well, I am, I am a big NBA fan. And I remember growing up being a backslidden Christian, wanting to have someone to look up to, not looking up to Jesus like a, like a dummy, right? But I was trying to look up to NBA players, and I was trying to see if they were Christian. And I remember uh, finding out that Derrick Rose said he was a Christian. I was like, man, awesome. All right. Became my favorite NBA player. 
man, like, when I was 19, I found out that he got charged with a rape case. Now, he was acquitted, but the way he de- described it, I was like, bro, that is the most sinful thing I've ever heard. Like, how, how could you claim to be a, 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 a Christian? I began to look more into it, and over 80% of NBA players cheat on their wives. 80%. I've never been to university. Never been to university. You know, thank God I went to a school that our church hosted called SUM, right? And if you're interested in Bible college, you should go try out Legacy, right? But it, it's, it's not a university. A university, I hear so many stories. My wife tells me all the things that happens and happen in university, all the hazing, all the parties, all the drugs and, and diseases and viruses that go around in those places. It's disgusting. I've never been a part of that. And you see, in the midst of all those things going on is belief. What do you believe? What do people believe about their life? What do people believe about God? What do people believe what is right, uh, believe that is right and wrong? And I see this even happening now in the education system. By God's grace, I've been an educator for, five, for about four and a half years. And I've had conversations with people about kids many times. I think kids can be bad. And I, I really do. I think kids can be bad kids. And I get a lot of disagreement about that. But understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying you don't love bad kids. That's what people hear. This is the thing. A lot of teachers are saying, no, no, every kid has some good in them. I believe that. I just go to scripture. It says even children are known by their behavior. Even children are known by their reputation. The minute a kid knows what's right and wrong, I remember when I was five, clearly, when I was doing stuff right and wrong, I knew it. I knew it. So for me, I know, I think there are bad kids. But these teachers don't. They tell me, they would, they would tell me I'm wrong for that. They would argue with me. And they would say, no, kids have good in them. I'm like, all I've fallen short. What you mean? Right? I'm like always going back to theology. Always going back to theology because that's my doctrine. But now, this is their doctrine, that kids have to have good in them. Well, what if they didn't have good in them? You would see well, how they would act. Because if, if you're a teacher and you're saying every kid has good in them, that's why I'm going to keep teaching you. What happens when you find out there ain't no good in them? What happens now when they shoot another kid? Because that's what's happening. At my school, they plot. I'm jumping people. I had one kid get jumped by five kids in a gym, in a, in a, uh, in a, in a locker room. And they rave about it. They love that stuff. What happens when that now kid goes to jail? Are you going to be in that jail cell saying, man, you got some good in you? No, they're going to give up on them. Because it only matters once they step into that school. And there's some type of rules in there. But once it's out there in the streets where you don't see that good that you're supposedly talking about, what's going to happen? You see, what you believe matters for everybody. Whether you're the atheist teacher that thinks that you're self-righteous because you believe every teacher's, every kid is good. Or whether you're like me, kind of like the guy who, you know, says, there are some bad kids, right? And you get yelled at, right? You have a belief and that matters. Now, here's the thing. In Timothy, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. We see these people, they believed they had a guilty conscience. They had a guilty, a guilty conscience. That was their view. How did they get that view? For, uh, how did they get a guilty conscience? Obviously, they sinned. But how did they know they sinned? How do you know you do something wrong? Usually, it's because someone tells you. And when we look at Paul's writing, Paul, a lot of us think, man, well, you know, the law, we don't, the Old Testament, forget about the Old Testament. That's a bad thing, right? Let's just focus on the New Testament. That's a bad way to look at Scripture. When we look at Scripture, let's take Paul's word, uh, let's take it, take, it, take it to heart. Let's, let's understand it. Let's unpack it. He says, we know that the law is good. Everybody say, the law is good. 
You see, and keep this in mind, the reason why I'm going here is because there's a reason why these people had guilty consciences. There's a really reason why they felt guilty. You see, the law is good if we use it properly. We also know that the law has made, been made not for the righteous, but for the lawless, the lawbreakers and the rebels, the ungodly and the sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Everybody say sound doctrine. So Paul saying, hey, whatever is going against what I'm saying, yeah, that's sinful. Really, at the end of the day. Because he's saying, my doctrine, the stuff that I'm teaching you, that's what's sound. Anything else that goes against that, that's not sound. That's not sound teaching. You see, in these people, what they were doing was they were teaching the law, but not knowing about the law. They were teachers of the law, but not knowing what they were doing. And, and in a sense, they were making themselves guilty by teaching the law that they knew nothing about. Let me explain that. So the people that had guilty consciences, right, did they run away from the law or did they run towards the law? They ran towards the law. And they began to teach the law that they could not hold. And they began to now, in a sense, right, transfer their guilt to all their hearers. They began to say, hey, man, you got to do this, even though they weren't doing it, even though they weren't able to keep it. Hey, you got to make sure that you're not a sinful, ungodly person. You're not unholy. You're not irreligious. You're not murdering your father or mother. Now, uh, if they were killing them or not, right, they probably, some of them probably were, but it, it's also talking about dishonoring, right? If we look at that, this sounds very familiar. What, what do you guys just think this sounds like? Ten Commandments. These are the Ten Commandments that Paul is really bringing up. They could not keep this law. And they were telling people to keep it out of guilt and for dishonest gain. So pretty much these teachers of the law break the law and they try to help other people keep it. That doesn't happen. That's not the case. That's not going to work because the law does not make you holy. You guys have to understand that. Not doing wrong doesn't make you right. It doesn't make you right. Practicing these Ten Commandments doesn't make you right. It doesn't make you holy. Let's go to Titus chapter 2, 11 to 12. See, Paul reminds us that we should actually be taught not by the law or teachers of the law, but by grace. You see, it is grace. It's for the grace of God has appeared to, uh, that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. Everybody say no. No to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. It's not the law that actually helps us live holy. It's not knowing that this is wrong that causes us to live holy. It's actually knowing that there's God's grace for us that makes us live holy. That teaches us, that instructs us, that walks us through life, helping us say no to the wickedness of this world. You see, it's not your constant reminder of God's law that's going to keep you through high school or through college. It's not constantly saying, I can't do this even though I want to. I can't do this because I don't, I, even though I want to. It's the reminder that God's grace has been given. God's grace has been given. It's not because your daddy said no. It's because the heavenly, the heavenly Father has given you the ability by his grace to say no. You see, it's not just don't do this. It's, hey, you don't have to do this anymore because God's grace is sufficient. 
You see, the only way we're going to make it through this life and finish our race is if we are focused on God's grace. We will fall short. We will fall short every single time trying to keep this law, focusing on it, holding to it. We will fall short. It will make us guilty, and we will live unholy, sinful lives. But if we focus on God's grace, see, now there's hope. Now there's a teacher. Now there's someone that can walk you through it. You see, Paul reminds us that we need to be taught by God's grace to live holy, not by the law. Because the law does not produce holiness. It doesn't actually produce condemnation. You see, by the law, did I know I was a breaker of the law. That's what Paul says. You see, you only knew you were wrong because you stepped up in church today, honestly. Right? And that's, that's, that's the truth. You only knew you were wrong because someone told you. Yes, you got your conscience that tells you, but you can sear your conscience. It's the law. See, the law that, that really gets you shook now. When all of a sudden you say, man, wait, I can't dishonor my mother and father? That's part of the Ten Commandments. And it makes it seem like you're a murderer now of your mother and father. Oh, wait, I can't, I can't, I can't steal. I can't lie. I can't cheat. I can't have perjury. Right? I can't uh, cheat on my taxes, right? can't do all these things that everyone else does. Man, what? What am I supposed to do? See, that's where God's grace comes in. You see, God's grace, not this law, that's what helps us. And listen, if God's law doesn't produce holiness, neither is your legalism. If God's own perfect law does not make us holy, neither will your legalism. If, if God's law can't produce in us what he desires for us to have, holiness, then how are your cheap, phony imitations of it going to do? It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not. You need God's grace. You need it. See, the doctrine that Paul held that he's speaking of is enough because it's the gospel that was given to him not from some man but from Jesus. So Jesus, his teachings, what Paul is sharing with this world, not legalistic superstitions. If you watch a show, some demon's going to come in your house and take your family. Right? Like what kind of stupid stuff is that? That's foolish. It's stupid. The fact that we as believers, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world can be overtaken by some TV show is insane. Right? The very fact that if I eat pork, all of a sudden now I'm like those demons that ran out the lake. Right? That doesn't make any sense. But this is how you get caught up. Right? And legalism is not just uh, rules for the sake of rules. There's a lot of good intended people with legalism. But I'm letting you know, they're, they're sent off too. I don't care how good your intentions are. You'll be sent off as a legalist. And you'll be sent off as someone who's begrudgingly following Christ. If you're begrudgingly following Christ, you're stubbornly following Christ, you're going to fall off. You're going to fall off. You're like, man, I wish I was doing this, but I can't do it because i got to follow Jesus. Man, I wish I was like this person, but I can't do it because i got to follow Jesus. I'm like, no, you're, you're, you're done already. You're already not following Jesus, to be honest. You're just, you're following what you've made up. You're legalism. We have to understand that sound, healthy doctrine is contrary to this legalistic, superstitious nonsense that they were spreading. You see, these false teachers, they weren't just spreading it. 
with their words, but they were showing it with their life. And the idea of sound doctrine matters truly because it's the source of our freedom. I want to let you guys know, I know I love being Pentecostal. I love it. How many of y'all love being Pentecostal? How many, when you, like, it is, it is a blessing. It is a blessing that God would give us the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That God would give us his power. But I want to tell you one thing. Some of y'all don't understand the altar. See, the altar isn't for you to just keep coming and keep having these experiences and then leaving. You see, these experiences are supposed to point you to Christ. And Christ is supposed to point you to his teachings. And his teachings are supposed to point you to freedom. You see, Jesus said this, truly, if you hold on to my teachings, then you will be free. Then you'll be my disciples. Jesus didn't say, truly, if you come to this altar and cry for 30 minutes, then you'll be my disciples. Jesus didn't say, truly, if you have an encounter and these emotions happen, then you'll be my disciples. No, he said, if you hold on to my teachings, then you'll be my disciple and you'll be set free. And whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. You see, we've got it all twisted. We have all that we need. We have the Spirit of God that's been poured out into us. We have his teachings that are life to us. We have all that we need. When you're coming over here, what you're doing is creating legalism. You think you need more. You think you need more. You don't need more. You have enough. You have enough. God has given you enough. And it's in his teachings. It's in his doctrine. You see, and what does Paul say? He says to watch your life and your doctrine. Do you know the word watch means to hold? To hold on to? You see, Paul knows that there are going to be people trying to take this from you. The enemy's going to try to take it from you. I'm thinking of some of these church kids here today. I love you guys. I care for you guys. But the enemy is going to try to take what has been planted in your life, your whole life. That upbringing is going to be trying to take it. You're not going to be walking around all willy-nilly anymore. There are people that don't want you to live free in the Lord. Paul talks about it. People want you to sin with them. They're tired of feeling guilty. They're tired of seeing a Christian live holy. They're tired of seeing that standard. What they want to do is they want to drop you to theirs. But you need to hold on. You need to hold on to the teachings that were given to you. Because that's where the freedom is. That's where the freedom is. If we don't hold on to it, we're going to be taken. We need to hold on to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And you see, when you have a sound mind and you have a sound doctrine, that is when your life is sound. That is when your life is sound. If we can go to verse 10, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 to 16. A little bit off, I get. Yeah, thank you. 2 Corinthians, um, not 2 Corinthians, sorry. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 10 to 16. You see, why does it matter what you believe? It matters what you believe because it dictates how you live. It dictates how you live. One of the best things I like to do when preaching the gospel, especially to teenagers, is I just ask them this. If I told you right now that the building we're standing next to is going to collapse and you believe me, what would you do? And they obviously say, get out the way. Why? Because what you believe matters. What you believe dictates how you live. That means if you believe that if you eat McDonald's every single day, you're not going to get a six-pack, right? Then, then you're going to stop eating McDonald's, right? If you believe in what you're doing, you're going to keep doing it. Does that make sense? You're going to continue doing the thing in which you believe. So... That's why it's important to understand that sound doctrine when met with the sound mind equals a sound life. You see, because what you believe will dictate your life, and if your doctrine is sound, then your life will be sound. 
When all this stuff was happening with Nini's Deli, I felt a lot of peace at times. And the times that I felt peace was when I was thinking about how this is just what Scripture was talking about. When Jesus would say, hey, listen, you know, you'll have many problems in this life. But don't worry. Take heart because I've overcome the world. When they told me my son was probably going to die, when they told me that, I automatically thought of John chapter 9, verse 3, which says this. When the disciples are walking, to, to, they're walking with Jesus and they see a man who, who's diseased, he's lame. And they say, man, who sent him or his father? Basically like, hey, man, like, like how did he get like this? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Neither him or his, his sin is the reason he's like this. Neither him or his father's sin is the reason he's like this. He's like this so that God's glory may be displayed in him. You see, that was the passage that the Holy Spirit brought to my attention. But if I would have never read it, if I would have never held on to it, I would have been in despair. I would have wanted to quit. I would have said, okay, we're going to get the surgery because our son's going to die. But I held on to God and his word. I held on to what I knew to be true, the doctrine that saves me. You see, Titus chapter 1, 16. Uh, also, actually, let's go back. No, you stay here. Um, 1 Timothy, actually. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 10 to 16. So this is a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. He tells Timothy now to command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to the preaching and to teaching. This is something you need to devote yourself to. Many of us, we read the verse of the day and we're straight. Many of us are okay with some shallow doctrine. Many of us are okay with only reading these Bible stories and being okay with that. Listen, that is not going to help you. Like, doctrine is going to help you. Just watching a video on YouTube is not going to help you. Like, doctrine is going to help you. you got to understand what the Scripture is saying. You're commanded to understand what the scripture is saying. You're commanded now to devote yourself to this. This is not optional. This is actually a big part of our faith. So your doctrine is at center of your faith, not your experience. Understand that. Your doctrine. Your doctrine is the center of your faith. Not not the fellowship, because we love the fellowship, but your doctrine says here, do not neglect your gift which has given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you, but be diligent. Everybody say, be diligent. So you have to be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Timothy is basically saying, hey, he's told, you got to devote yourself to this. You need to make sure all of you is in it. Not some of you, not part of you. Right? This is something that you're all in or you're all out, Timothy. Watch your life. Hold on to your life and your doctrine closely. And persevere in them. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. See the beautiful blend of doctrine and life there? Because if your doctrine is sound, your life is sound, and if people see your sound, they will want to be sound too. You see, there's people in this world that are starving, and they are thirsty, and they want God, but they don't know who he is. And when they see you, they ignore and look the other way. Is that how it's supposed to be? No. 
Because you have a sound life, people see your life and say, man, I want what that man has. I want what that woman has. Right? How do they have so much peace in this trial? In this trial? How do they have so much uh, joy? How do they have so much contentment? I wouldn't have been like that. You see, if you watch your life and your doctrine closely, it says you will save yourself. Of course, we know Jesus saves us. He said it a bunch of times. But this is how important this is right now. Paul is making it very clear. You need to hold on to this. And in doing so, it won't just benefit you. It will benefit others. If we can go, uh, if we can go back to, to Titus chapter 1, 16. Titus chapter 1, verse 16. You see, these hypocritical lying teachers, they're far from God. They really taught the law, but they were far from the God who wrote the law. They, were, they knew, and this is something that Leonard Ravenhill said, you have a lot of preachers today that know the word of God but don't know the God of the word. And this is it. They claim to know God, but by their actions. Everybody say, by their actions. Everybody say it again, by their actions. They deny him. You see, you can say all with your lips. You can say all. You can come here and worship God all you want. You can be on this worship team. You can be a leader in this church. You can be 201 and 101. You can be as passionate as you say you are, but if your actions don't match it, you're denying the one true God. You're denying him. You see, those people are detestable. Detestable. See, I love Titus because he don't hold back. He don't hold back. You're detestable, disobedient, unfit for anything good. It's like what Jesus said. If you look back when putting your hands on the plow, you're useless for the kingdom of God. You see, it's, sometimes, it's hard to hear teachings like that, and it's meant to be hard because you've got to wake up. Some of, your consciousness, uh, some of your consciousness are so seared, so numb, that you've got to be slapped the top of the head with the word of God. You have to be shaken loose of what's holding on to you so you can hold on to the word of God. So these hypocritical lying teachers were far from God, not just because of their doctrine being bad. It wasn't just because of what they said, and you guys have to understand this. There could be some people that say some convincing stuff, right? These teachers could say some convincing stuff. There's this one preacher, I think Greg Locker, I, don't, I forgot his name. Supposedly he like left his wife because God told him to. And then he got restored like a matter of weeks or something by God knows who because he don't got no leadership. He's a YouTube preacher. And yet there's still people defending him. People saying he should preach. He should still pastor. No, he needs to sit down and get discipled. But these are the type of clowns that we have preaching today. These are the type of embarrassing, disobedient, detestable people we have telling you God's word. These are the type of people we have. And, and what do we do sometimes? We listen to them. We listen to them. When they've already denied the one who saves you don't got to say it. You can just do it, right? You know someone loves you by what you do. By, you know someone loves you by what they do, not just by what they say. That's why it's so beautiful to know that God demonstrated his love for us. He's not like the Muslim God, right, who's never, who never demonstrated his love for us, right? I mean, all these other gods, they say a whole lot of, a whole lot of stuff, but they don't do nothing. But our God demonstrated his love for us in this by Sending Jesus to die for us while we were still ungodly sinners. Right? And we know that's tough because we know that we wouldn't die for some people that we don't like. Right? Matter of fact, some of us would even die for some people we do like. So we know that's love right there. Sometimes we won't even give a dollar to someone because, you know, we're trying to eat. 
even though we just ate. Think about that. God demonstrates his love for us in this, sending Jesus. We can also demonstrate whether we hate someone or not, not by what we say, but by our actions. We could demonstrate we aren't for someone. We don't care about someone while saying the whole time we love them. I'm for you. Right? You can literally be married to someone, okay? Them say they love you, and then they also they leave you for another person that same day. You, you could be a best friends with someone, and all of a sudden you find out they're gossiping or slandering you. But, man, you said this. You said that. It doesn't matter what people say. It matters about their actions. And by their actions, by their deeds, they've denied God. But here's the thing. We're not supposed to be like that. He says, you, however. That means he says, they're like this, right? But However, you must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. I like what the NET says. It says, you must communicate the behavior that comes from sound doctrine. You communicate your behavior. You communicate with your behavior sound doctrine. Do you understand that? We don't just communicate with our words. We communicate with our body language. I know y'all parents with teenagers understand that plenty well. I know y'all understand that. I know y'all get that. That eye roll, like, yes, mom. Like, you know their hearts are far from you at that moment, right? You know it at that moment. And, and when we say, when we say, yeah, I love you, God, but we go on and sin. When we say, yeah, God, I'm in church, I'm worshiping you, but we go on and live in this lawless lifestyle. We're not saying I love you, God. We're saying I've denied you, God. You see, we have to communicate the behavior of sound doctrine. If you can actually uh, pull up the NET, if that's possible. I don't know if it's there. But that, I, I really want us to see that. This is how important it is. I, I reject this saying. I don't know if you guys ever heard this saying. It's, it's, it's misquoted. But uh, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I did, that's, a, that's sinful, honestly. That's, hey, hey, listen, you can't preach the gospel unless you open your mouth. Any Christian ever says you, tells you otherwise, they're backslidden. They've, like, they're on their way to backsliding because it is such a, a, a contra, it's contrary to sound doctrine. But this is the truth, is that if, if all of a sudden you're preaching and then you go to McDonald's and get some food after and you get in an argument with the cash register, you cuss out the cash register, Right? You, you, ain't, you ain't communicating your doctrine. You're not communicating that what you just pre- preached. If you have a short temper, if you got no patience for nobody, if you get angry quickly, if you have fits of rage, if you have all these deeds of the flesh that are obvious, you're not communicating sound doctrine. And we got to stop making excuses for ourselves because we don't make excuses for the world, do we? We tell it like it is with the world. Oh, you're a sinner. Repent. But with us, oh, we're, God's working on me. I'm growing. But they ain't growing. We got to stop taking it easy on ourselves. For you now, you communicate the behavior that goes with sound teaching. You have to communicate the behavior of sound teaching. At my job, there's so many kids, they act all crazy. And I call their parents and they quiet. Because their parents are like, no, I didn't raise them like that. I didn't teach them to be like that. But that's not what they're communicating to me. That ain't what they're communicating to me, sir, ma'am. Because what they're communicating to me is that you raised them to be a fool. You raised them to be a follower. You raised them to be dumb. Is that how Christ raised you? 
to be like the world, to be a fool, to be in your folly, to be disobedient to your parents, to be a liar, to be a thief. No, that's not how he did. That's not, that's not what he's taught us. You see, and what happens when we finally do get this, this beautiful blend of a sound mind, a sound doctrine, a sound life, who does that look like? It looks like elders and deacons. It looks like elders and deacons. If we can go to uh, First Timothy, uh, well, we're already in First Timothy, but if we can scroll up a little bit. Let's go to... I thought I wrote it down. Forgive me, guys. I believe it's first Timothy. Can you go to First Timothy chapter three? Yeah, there you go. First Timothy chapter three. It says, Here's a trustworthy saying whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self controlled. Everybody see that? Temperate, self-control, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. You see, we get up here and we're all passionate for sure. And passion is good. Good. If you have passion, good. But if you're screaming at the top of your lungs someone out of an argument because you have no temper, you have no self-control, you have no respect, you have no hospitality, right? It doesn't matter how well you can teach. It doesn't matter how well you can teach if you can't live right. It does not matter how much you know if God is not in your behavior. If I can't see God in your life, then I don't want to see God in your teaching. Do you understand that? And some of you are so quick to want to be able to teach and be seen. But I want to let you know that does not matter. You need to be quiet. You need to submit. You need to make sure that your life is right. Because if your life is right, it don't matter how good your teachings is, you're off to hell. If, you're all, if your life is wrong, sorry. And it says here, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Man, I look at all these preachers, man. And their kids just gone astray. And you hear the stories. Oh, man, he was always preaching. He never taught me. He was always doing this. He wasn't there for me. All these hurt church kids. And we have to understand that the responsibility is with them. They're responsible. But so are they, the preachers. So are they, the pastors. And if we're unable to manage our family, why would God ever think of having us manage the church? Why would God ever say, hey, I'm going to trust you as a deacon. I'm going to trust you as an elder. If we came and take care of our family, how am I going to expect you to take care of someone else's? If you don't care about your own kids, why should you care about mine? If you don't care about your own wife, why should I expect you to teach mine? You got to understand that if you can't manage your own household, you might as well stay back, sit back and relax because you're not fit. You can get fit by God's grace. It says right here again, continuing, he must not be a recent convert or he may be conceited and fall under the same judgment. We can continue to go on as the devil. A lot of y'all on 201 and 101, you want to go to the next step, go to the next step, chill, relax. Relax. You got a lot to learn. 
You have to sit back and take what the teaching is. Because if you want to just be seen as a leader, be seen in that type of reputation, have some authority to lord over people, you're missing the point. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. You see, your reputation in this church is not more important than the reputation outside of it. You see, if all of a sudden I'm like hearing about you, you're on fire here, you're on the worship team, you're, you're serving at the door, you're doing all these things here, but then when I go outside and I meet the people in your life and they don't even know you're a Christian, what does that say? What does that say about you? You see, that says a lot. That says you don't have a sound life. You see, we have to have a good reputation with outsiders. Because we don't want to fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In closing, if I could have all the altar workers and the worship team, please. You see, if we can continue on reading, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. I hope you guys see Paul's kind of, that, 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 that the arteries of Paul's leadership Right, the backbone or the, the really the, the structure. He wants sound people. He wants healthy people. He wants people with a sound mind, a sound life, sound doctrine. He wants it all there. And he's saying, these are the people I want to be leaders. Because remember, Timothy, he's coming to Ephesus. They're in a mess. And he has, to make, he has to make a church out of this mess. And Paul is saying, this is the people that you need to be around. These are the people that you need to establish right now. These are the people you need to give authority. All those false teachers, you need to rebuke them. Get them out of here. Put some right people in place. And he says, he says here in the same, uh, he says, they must be keep hold, right? Again, keep hold of deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. So there again, hold. You have to hold on to this. These, this thing of our faith, the truths of our faith, you have to hold on to it. Because there are people with lies that are trying to distract you, trying to disturb you, trying to take you from the peace that God has given you. See, they must be first tested. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. And then it says, in the same way, women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. You see, we need these type of people. We need these type of people, deacons and elders. We need that type of person we need them in the church and we also need them in society we need them in the church and we need them in government we need them in the church and we need them in the schools we need them in the church and we need them in the classroom we need them in the church and we need them in the sports teams you see we need these people not the pastors we see now with their houses out of order that are just trying to get into ministry because they want some money go work at Burger King bro go get a real job bro Bunch of jokes. See, we need actual people that are willing to live actual godly lives. And you see, I think we all think it. But then here's the question. Why not you then? Why not you then? Why can't it be you? Why can't you be that deacon? Why can't you be the elder? Right, don't say because I'm young, because I got a life to live. Listen, the life you live, if it's contrary to sound doctrine, is evil. Drop it. Why can't you be it? See, Timothy was a young man. He was probably younger than I am right now, talking to you. And Paul entrusted him to speak to these people. Why not you? Why can't you be that elder and that deacon? 
Why can't you be that person that has self-respect, that's hospitable, that's self-controlled, that's not giving into too much wine, that only has one wife, doesn't have a bunch of mistresses? Why can't you be that person? You see, we're all ready to point fingers and be like, man, this person's doing it wrong. This person's doing it wrong. Well, why don't you do it right, buddy? Why don't you do it right? Why don't you now say, I'm going to get my household in order. I'm going to get my mind right. I'm going to make sure my doctrine's right. You see, in this church, we believe in independent disciples. Disciples that are saying, I know the God, the word, the God of the word and the word of God for myself. I don't, need, I don't need Pastor Joe to be my priest, Joe. I don't need him to be Father Joe and tell me all the things that I need to hear. I don't need uh, my, my deacons to all of a sudden be the people that connect me to God. I'm connected to God myself, and we're connected together. You see, you guys have a responsibility to be disciples. And many of you have a responsibility to be deacons. And some of you have a responsibility to be elders. And you need to live up to that responsibility. We can point fingers all day about how this person's wrong, that person's wrong. But are we right? And if we're right, then where are we going? Because Jesus, he's, he's doing things. Jesus is moving. Jesus is touching lives. Churches are being planted. Disciples are being made. Preaching is, be, uh, the word is being preached. Where are you? Where are you? If we can go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. So we need to be a people with a sound mind, sound doctrine, and a sound life. And once that's in place, we need to be used by God to put things in order. We need to be used by God to put things in order. He says right here, Paul is telling Timothy, preach, I give you this charge. I give you this charge. I give you this. This is like, uh, you know, if you ever see a movie when they're like, hurrah, you know, they send them out. He said, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Preach the word. Is it, is it any clearer than that? Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Man, I've seen this happen in this own church. People don't like to be corrected. They don't like to be rebuked. So you know what they do? They get a lot of people that don't like to be corrected, don't like to be rebuked. And what do they do? They gossip. They slander. They teach their own teachings now. And this happens all the time. It starts off with gossip. Did you know that Paul calls gossip, uh, I don't know the Greek word 100%, so if I butcher it, forgive me, diabolos, right, which is like the devil's talk. So when you gossip and you slander, what you're doing is you're just speaking the same tongue as the devil, the accuser of the brethren. See, we got to understand right now that God wants a people that won't just put up with sound doctrine, will hold to sound doctrine. And they will, so these people that don't put up with it, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, everybody say, but you. Everybody say, but me. Keep your head in all situations. Right? Sound mind in all situations. Endure hardship and do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all duties of your ministry. He's telling Timothy, basically, this is your focus. Anything else, that ain't your problem now. If everyone can stand up, please. Listen, God wants people with a sound mind. He wants people with a sound life, sound doctrine. He wants to send you out 
back, right, into your families, back into your household, back into your schools, and he wants you to put things in order. He wants you to put things in order. So the altar call today, listen, if you guys don't have a sound mind, you're dealing with a lot of chaos, a lot of anxiety, a lot of uh, restlessness, you're falling uh, uh, victim to these temptations that are coming, you're guilty, you're always under condemnation, listen right there and then you need to stop, repent, come up for prayer, that's not the mind God has given you, God has not given you that mind, that's not the mind that God has given you, if you don't have sound doctrine, you catch yourself believing and teaching what is contrary to scripture, hear this a lot, people are saying I'm broken, I'm a, pro- I'm a progress. I'm working on myself. If you're constantly saying that stuff right now, I want you to know it has power over you. You need to start getting into what Paul says about the church, what Jesus says about his followers. You're overcomers. You're more than conquerors. Right? You're a new creation. We need to believe those things because if we believe those things, we'll live those things. And if you're not living those things, you don't have a sound life. Your life is unhealthy. You're constantly back and forth between sin, coming to church, trying to live for God's sin. I want to let you know that's not the life that God has given you. He will give you another one. If you have any, if you're lacking any of those areas, I want to ask you guys to come up as the the band sings. But this is not a time to be timid. This is not a time to be a hypocritical liar. If you've been a hypocrite, time to get out of that hypocrisy. If you can't be true in church, where else can you be true then? If you can't be honest, where honesty is expected, where can you be honest? If you can't be a Christian in a room full of Christians, how are you going to be in the world? God wants to give you a sound mind. Father, I pray right now for every person, Lord. Speak to their hearts, God. Speak to their hearts, God. Begin to pray right now. Ask the Lord for a sound mind.
If you're saying right now, man, I, I just don't feel conviction anymore. I do things and I just don't feel conviction. I was talking about you today. You have a seared conscience. Because I've been there where you keep sinning and you keep sinning and all of a sudden now the sin don't, it don't really bother you anymore. You're not uncomfortable anymore. You're actually more uncomfortable trying to live right for God than you are sinning. Listen, don't stay in your seat. Don't leave this place the same. You need to have Jesus clean your conscience. You need to be restored. And if you confess your sins to one another, this is what the scripture says, God is just, he is faithful, and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He will give you a clean conscience. I'm gonna say a prayer of dismissal and then free to go. But if you're that person in this place, I, I don't want you to leave. I want you to not leave this place until you get right. Father, I just thank you, God, for this word. I thank you for your, the guidance of your spirit that warns us, that warns us of temptation, that frees us from sin. And I know your spirit is in this place, Lord, convicting the hearts of every person that is living a hypocritical life. Lord, I pray right now that you would free them, Lord. Free them from the bondage, God. Free them from the bondage that they have come in this place with. Let them not leave the place, this place the same. I pray right now for minds that are unhealthy, minds that are disturbed, minds that have not tasted peace in many years, God. I pray right now that you would bring them peace. Lord, I pray for those that have been believing the wrong types of teachings and they've been led astray and their household has been led astray. God, I pray that you would bring them back to the truth. Lord, because it is by your truth that we are set free in Jesus' name. I pray that the truth would reign in every heart and mind in this place today, God. And I pray, Lord, for a life in Metro that glorifies you. May our lives glorify you, God. May our lives bring you joy. May you look at our life and be happy. May you be pleased and approve of our lives, God. Lord, we want to know that we know that we're right with you, God. We don't want to leave this place with an unclear conscience, Lord. Give us a clear conscience in this place, God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. But you're also welcome to stay. Get some prayer.